got gut issues because Emma and I sure do. I have an issue with high sugar foods and anything with added preservatives and Emma has a whole ass gluten intolerance. So we struggle with finding tasty treats, but thank the heavens for Abby Nola because it has been a lifesaver when we want a sweet treat fix without all the gut bombs that high gluten foods like cookies and cakes give us. Abby Nola has a chocolate granola that is made with lupini beans, so it's gluten-free and only has one gram of sugar, leaving our sweet tooth satisfied and our tummies feeling perfectly fine. You guys, you can head over to abby-foods.com or the Instagram account at abby-foods-co for your granola fix turned tasty treat fix. You'll also find all kinds of recipes to try out, so you'll get never get bored with Abby Nola. Use code PILOTSPANDEMIC for 15% off your order of Abby Nola. Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic. Hey y'all, welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie. Hello, everyone. And this week we are joined by a guest, Cody Jackson. Cody, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you for having me on. Yeah, so Cody, you are a private pilot and a truck driver. Um, one, I we absolutely love aviation, and two, I love transportation, especially when it comes to big trucks. So I'm stoked to be able to talk to you today, but I'll let Maddie take us in for the first question. Yeah, so um, as Emma said, we know, Cody, like you're, you have a big passion for transportation, um, and we wanted to kind of speak about your aviation journey today, as well as the loss of your friend, Lando, who is also a pilot. Uh, we connected with you through Facebook Messenger. I was um, so glad that you answered my message. I didn't know, like, sending it to you if you would reach out or not. Um, but I had heard about your friend Lando from another one of our guests, Zach Reising, who we just recorded with a couple, last week. But he was like, yeah, reach out to Cody. He wants to talk about Lando. So um, I'm just grateful that you're going to share about him as well as your passion for aviation with us. But we always start out with how did you get into flying? Um, was it like a person that sparked your interest or was so, this like a childhood dream that you had? Um, just explain a, a little of both. It was a dream of mine. So basically I got addicted. My father, he, he's a, he's a private pilot back in the, uh, early nineties, mid nineties, he flew and, my, he actually stopped flying when their friends got killed in a crash in Jerseyville, Illinois, back in the day. They were overweight and um, hot day, and they stalled, and a husband and wife got killed. And so my mom, would, she wouldn't let any of us fly. So my dad got into simulators, and, th- and this is, early, you know, late 90s, early 2000s technology, nothing <laughs> real fancy. Well, I got hooked on, you know, flying simulators as a little kid. And I always said, you know, I want to fly. It's just something I fell in love with. And I, I used to pretend on a computer program called ProPilot that I was flying, you know, the baseball teams around uh, and stuff. It, just using my imagination as a kid. And I just, I fell so in love with the idea of flying and stuff like that. And so then I actually started, you know, taking it more serious. And... 
you know, I I had a plan going through high school of I wanted to be a commercial pilot. That was my plan all four years of high school. I said I wanted to either fly for the military or I wanted to be an airline pilot. And I had a whole plan of it. I was going to go to Embry-Riddle in Daytona Beach, Florida. That was kind of the whole game plan all four years. And then I became a dad at 18. Well, you know, priorities change, life happens, stuff like that. So, unfortunately, my aviation career took the back burner, and then I ended up getting into trucking, which I have been doing trucking for the past eight years. Well, in 2021, actually 2020, I found an opportunity with a flight school that I had reached out to and said I would like to, um, you know, help do janitorial services, clean the planes and stuff. In exchange, I wanted to learn how to fly. Well, and it unfortunately it did not work out how we had hoped, but it, it it renewed and sparked that interest again. Well, fast forward to 2021, I had actually called the wrong EAA chapter. I was trying to get a hold of a local chapter, and um, Bethalto, Illinois, and I accidentally called EAA 64, which is now my home chapter. And talking to the vice president, I had found out that there was a nonprofit. Um, in Millstead, Illinois, that um, the president ran. It was a 1965-172 Cessna, and it was it was very cheap. It was only 100 bucks an hour tack time, and that sparked that interest of hey, maybe now I can do it because aviation is such an expensive hobby, or expensive training in general. And I ended up I told myself you know now's the time to actually go after your dream. And it, it took me a while. It took me over a year to get my license because of the finances. But in February night, I mean, not February, April 19th of 2022, I finally got my license. And mm, congratulations. That, that was the first step. And That's awesome. Now I'm working on my instrument. I'm up to just over 102 hours total. Um, I haven't been doing a whole lot of flying this year due to some personal stuff, but I, my goal is to, I gave myself a five-year goal of, to be to the airlines. Fortunately, I think I'm going to have to push that goal out, but, you know, life happens. As long as we get to the end of the journey, that's all that matters. Definitely. Yeah. I really think that you, you showed that, like, even after having your kid at 19, like, that's a big deal. You still, like, kept on track and even though it's a little bit later than, than you wanted it to be, like you now have your PPL and I'm sure you'll get to that goal of the airlines because you have that like tenacity to do so. Slow and steady. Yep. Slow and steady runs the race. For sure. I know we can definitely resonate with that. We were just talking about it in one of our most recent solos, like everyone's journey is so different, but to stick with it and to keep on, you know, trying and persevering, that's the real win. Um, and that's what we should all be focused on. So I love your journey, but I kind of want to ask you, like, it might sound silly when we're talking about aviation, but like I said, trucks, like, 
I love transportation. I love semi trucks. I I don't know what it is. It's like I've always loved trains, trucks, planes ever since I was a little girl. But my boyfriend also kind of works in that field. He does logistics. So I wanted to ask you, are there any parallels between driving a semi and flying? And do you feel safer when you're flying or when you're driving, which I probably know the answer to that one but i want to hear what you have to say uh, there there can be minor parallels you know where things happen you know a lot of people get mad at um at like airlines and stuff when you know planes break and stuff you know trucking stuff happens plans change daily just kind of like aviation you never know what to expect you can go into it with a whole game plan and it could completely go to the wayside five minutes later so I mean, logistically, it's not, there's some parallels to it, not a lot. Um, I will say it's a lot of monotony and boring, just like if you're flying a commercial pilot. Once you're in the air and you're cruising, it's boring, just kind of like trucking. Once you get going, you're on that same road for 400 plus miles, so you get to your destination. So just kind of keeping yourself engaged would be pretty similar in my opinion. Yeah. Do you think like I would assume that driving the semi, it's obviously like so much more hands on because you don't have autopilot or anything like that. Like I can imagine it gets really exhausting. I'll be honest, after you've done this for so long, you honestly kind of get into like an autopilot and state of mind where you're just kind of driving and you're just it's not so taxing on you because you're just kind of in the zone, I guess you could say. It's hard to explain, but like if you've ever been driving, you know, long distance, you're like, oh, I'm already halfway there. That's kind of how you get after, you know, a while in this industry. You get, I do that, sit in your groove. I do that a lot. And then I'll forget, like, oh, was that light green? (laughs) (laughs) I've seen like memes about that on the internet, but it is so true. I like, if I'm driving really long distances, I will like kind of, I'm paying attention, but you almost zone out a little bit. Um, yeah. And then you're like, you're like, wait, dang, I've been driving for a while. So do you feel safer when you're flying or when you're driving? Uh, honestly, probably flying. Because while I've had a couple close calls and flying and stuff, cars do not pay any attention to us. They're in a hurry to get to their destination. They will cut you off and they will almost wreck you every day. Yeah, oh my God. that's scary. That's intense. Honestly, I would say I'd feel safer flying than I would be driving a semi. Yeah, that I'm makes sense. Surprised. Yeah, I I just wanted that like question to be answered because there's so many people out there who are so afraid to fly in like a small plane. Um, they feel safer in an airliner, which is fine. I understand, but um, I think it's just interesting. Like people get on the road in their car every day, and it's much more dangerous than flying in a small plane. So um, I look at this way. Death can happen at any time. Yeah. Yeah. Go for the, enjoy the ride. Yeah, exactly. And I think um, the views are a little better from the plane than the semi truck. (laughs) Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. Um, But no, I just, um, I think it's just interesting, like our fears and what we think about versus what we don't think about. With a plane, there's a lot more forgiveness because, you know, you got a lot more space up there than when you're driving down the highway. Um, But the next question I kind of want to ask you is, 
what types of hardships have you faced along your journey to your private pilot license? I know you had like a deferment in like the t- amount of time that you wanted to get it, but were there any Biggest other things? Issues? But the well, the number one factor, and it, honestly, probably the number one factor for a lot of student pilots is the cost. Mm-hmm. Between costs, you know, breakdowns, availability, weather. I mean, nobody wants to cancel their flight because of weather, but it happens. Same with breakdowns. Um, the cost of it's a big factor because while a lot of these airlines are paying, you know, record pay. A lot of people like me, we, we can barely afford the cost of living, let alone the extra cost to afford the flight training um, and flying. I mean, it's a sacrifice. and it, it really boils down to how bad do you want it, you know? Yeah, I think so. I mean, any way you cut it, I don't know very many people who can just, like, pay out of pocket for training. I mean, even right now. I'm Honestly, if it would have been for that nonprofit, I would have never got my license. The yeah. standard going rate around St. Louis right now, because I'm a bigger guy, I'm six one three ten, so I I have to have a one seventy two. Mm-hmm. The going rate around St. Louis right now is about one hundred fifty to one hundred eighty an hour. That's yeah. just for the plane. So you're looking at two twenty, two forty an hour. Yep, that's about what it is in Washington too. I think where I live, it's actually the cheapest, which is about the same as what you're quoting. Um, but if I go south towards Seattle, the price increases to about like three fifty, I think. So it's pretty insane. Um, yeah, it's expensive, and that's why I said a lot. People talk about the shortages, but people my age, we just what well, what's more important, you know, housing, rent. I mean, with everything, all your basic needs. Five years. Yeah, it's you got to pick and choose. So we kind of wanted to dig into your friend Lando's story. So how did your guys' path cross and where did you meet and did you fly together? So actually, funny enough, I met him because a um, acquaintance that I, I had met on Facebook, he was starting up a flight school at, um, oh, what's the name of that airport? At 1HO uh, Creep Corps there in St. Louis. Um he had just opened up a school and I was going to check it out and he wasn't there. Well, Lando seen me walking around, you know, looking lost. And he goes, Hey, can I help you? And I told him I was looking for my buddy, Greg, and said I was interested in checking out the flight school there. And he goes, Oh yeah, well he actually knew Greg. And so we kind of got to talking, you know, about that and um, flying. He told me, yeah, he used to have his, he never got his license. He had his hours in, and his um, flight instructor had passed away, and his logbook had basically gotten destroyed in a flood. And so he had to restart all of his hours and stuff. And so he actually, he was kind of like me. We did whatever we could to, you know, spend time around the flight school. And he um, we kind of bonded over that. And um, we only got to fly one time together. And um, I took him and his son. We went to uh, Festus, Missouri, Duke of Kentucky, Marion, Illinois, Mount Vernon, Illinois, and then back. And that was unfortunately the only time we got to fly together before his passing. Yeah, I I just I can't even imagine what it would feel like to lose your logbook like that is one of my worst fears it's something that is constantly lingering in the back of my mind like 
whenever I leave um, town or anything like that, I literally tell my boyfriend, I'm like, there's two things that you need to get in case of an emergency. My blackjack, which is my stuffy, my horse stuffy that I've had since I was a child, like my banky and my logbook though that is it and my logbook stays with like all of my most important documents because it is just it's always been a worse fear of mine and so for somebody to have to go through that oh I can't even imagine that's just such an unfortunate situation but there were there was kind of a series of events that led to Lando's passing so what else was he dealing with at the time well I know he was kind of struggling with work um, he, he did, uh, his main job during the day was installing cable and internet around St. Louis. Um, so I know he, he had his hands full with that and he'd actually had just started flight training again. Um, he was working with a flight school called Piston Aviation, which is a fairly new school here in St. Louis. And he was helping them do IT stuff in exchange. They were training him and he was actually you know, really happy about, you know, getting back in the air, getting his hours and stuff. And then he ended up having, um, out of nowhere, he had marital issues and, uh, his wife ended up wanting to file for divorce and he, he took it really hard. And unfortunately I blame myself that I didn't do enough because I seen the signs that he was heading down a bad path. He had actually reached out to me the day that they separated and it, he sent me a text saying, thank you for being a good friend. And I knew what that meant. I had been there myself. And so I, I blew his phone up that night try, trying to talk to him. And he had kind of told me some details about it, what had happened. And so I kept checking in with him every day. I was like, Hey, how are you doing? How are you holding up? You know, checking out his mental state. Cause he had, uh, three or four kids, you know, to depend on. Well, I, after about two weeks, um, I was kind of hoping things were going to get better. I was actually in the process of moving. So, you know, my, my priorities were different. And I had spoke to him the day that he uh, committed suicide. I was actually supposed to went to his house and picked up some stuff. And I ended up just not running out of time. And I guess he had made the decision a few days prior. And from what I can gather, he had told his his oldest that he was planning on it, but his oldest didn't think he was being serious. And I know the day that I had talked with him, he seemed really down in the dumps, depressed. And I told him, I said, hey, hang in there. I've been there. I, I'm divorced myself. And I was like, it gets better. I said, I promise you it gets better. And I had even offered, let me get moved into this house and I will let you come live with me. You know, buddy system. Well, I honestly hadn't heard from him in about two weeks. It, truthfully, it was my fault for not following up because I was so busy in my own life that I, I was like, he'll reach out when, he, when he's ready to talk. Well, I got a phone call about two, three weeks after that last time I talked with him. And unfortunately, I answered the phone like I typically do when I had heard from somebody in a while. I said, you alive, brother? I ain't heard from you in a while. And his his wife was on the other end of the phone and I instantly something told me he had done something stupid and I said don't tell me and she broke down in tears and said yeah he had done it a few hours after I had spoke to him last he he went she went to leave the house 
And he looked at he looked at her and his best friend and said, I can't do this anymore. Pulled a pistol out that nobody knew he had and ended his life. And I wish I could have just told him, like, hey, it, it would have been all right. You know, he I think he had just made up his mind that he life wasn't worth living. And I don't think anybody truthfully could have pulled him back from that unless he wanted it himself. I think he had pretty much made up his mind that he was just he wanted to move on. And he went from a guy, you know, that was colorful, excited to live life. We were always talking about flight simulators and flying and how training was going and stuff. We talked every few days, and it's like, I'm not going to lie, it, it, it was a shock when I found out that he had actually went through with it. And I hate it. But at the end of the day, you know, life goes on. We, we just have to le- learn from that sacrifice of what we can do better for mental health yeah i'm so sorry for your loss and thank you for wanting to come on here and be vulnerable with us i know it's not easy to rehash this yeah we're uh i'm just grateful that you're here to share about lando because oftentimes these things happen no one gets to share about their friend or family member loved one you know partner it just you know people know that this happens but the stories and the vulnerabilities are what helps make change. Um, And so I kind of wanted to get your perspective on just the struggle with like not being able to say how you actually feel as a pilot, Um, like the weight of maintaining a clean bill of health. Do you think like Lando was up against that struggle? Um, And how do you kind of personally feel about that? When it comes to Lando, honestly, I I think when it came to mental health, he wasn't so much as worried about his license as he was in general, like someone like me and you would. Um, But in uh, in general, you know, we kind of joke about aviation. We're not allowed to be sad. And unfortunately, it's a really bad way to look at things. And in today's world where, you know, there's more mental health awareness and everybody's more aware of, you know, how our mental health impacts us in our daily lives in aviation we're still set in the 50s and 60s where Mm -hmm. you have to be the macho person you're not allowed to have emotions and unfortunately you know rules are written in blood in this industry and stuff so i it's a double-edged sword i get why the rules are there but there has to be a better way for us to handle it even for a lot of these general aviation guys uh, you know, are never going to make it to fly deck of a, you know, 737. I feel like they should be able to have more access to, you know, therapy and stuff than, you know, some of the airlines. I get why it's more stringent. You're taking passengers, their lives are in your hands. And in the case of, you know, German wings and such, I get why the rule is there. But there needs to be some form of where we can have access to some type of therapy, mental health, medication, you know, I'm not sure what can be done. In aviation, you got to be perfect, clean bill of health, and you're not allowed to be sick, or God forbid you could lose everything that you've worked for, and just want, one thing can cause you to lose everything. Yeah, I think that's a, It really sucks. It's definitely a constant worry 
not only just for airline pilots. I feel like if you're in the GA world, this is a true passion for you. You love to fly. Um, airline pilots, I obviously they have a passion for it, but that losing their their license is based in like, wow, this is my career. And I literally just had this conversation with my CFI yesterday because he was talking about getting his blood pressure taken and it was a little bit high and his AME wasn't too worried about it, but he, it, it scared him. He was like, why is my blood pressure high? He's only in his forties. And so he's like, I immediately went home and checked my blood pressure with my own blood pressure cuff and it was fine. So he was like, I just, it really scared me. And I was like, maybe your heart rate was just up pretty high. Like you were nervous while you were in there. He's like, are you talking about white coat syndrome? I was like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, I just heard that term. And he's like, I think I have it. I'm like, I'm sure you do. He's like, it's just, you know, this is the career I want to have. And so everything weighs on my, my medical. And I'm like, tell me about it, dude. This is what I talk to, to pilots every day about, like, I totally get it. So, I mean, it's everywhere. I think every pilot who holds their medical, you know, it's, it's scary to know, like you could lose it anytime any day so and i'm very fortunate with me my ame is also my primary doctor so anytime i have issues or something or questions i can straight refer to her and say hey well, what do you think about this or uh, what can i do about you know my blood pressure getting up a little bit or something like that hey what can i change like me i gotta renew my uh heart here soon i think in the next six months i gotta renew mine and I can ask her, hey, what steps do I need to take to get certain stuff within range for when that time comes, you know? Yeah, I know. For me, I'm like, I'm so used to the whole white coat thing that I don't even tell them. I don't have to tell them anymore. When I go (laughs) in and they put the little like pulse thing on your finger and they put the blood pressure cuff on immediately, they're like, do you not like the doctor? Like, are you afraid (laughs) of the doctor's office? I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm. And they're I like, get okay, my blood it's... pressure yesterday, and they <laughs> felt like they were gonna take my arm off. I well, it, honestly, I'm gonna be so real with you. It kind of hurts getting your blood pressure taken. Like when that cuff starts really squeezing down on you, it hurts. It's not comfortable. The whole experience, like having your blood drawn, getting your finger pricked. Like, who really does like the doctor? Like, unfortunately, if... I got used to the, that. My ex was a medical assistant, and when she was in school having to learn how to do that i was the guinea pig so unfortunately i learned she'd have to do you know pump it up she had to do it manually you know with the stethoscope pump it up so unfortunately i was on the receiving end of (laughs) so i've kind of i've gotten used to it it doesn't really bother me anymore just be calm don't try to get anxiety from it or it will screw up your blood pressure yeah I know it really does. And it also takes like the right person. Like if you have a really good nurse, I've, I know that when I've gone in to get my blood drawn, like it could be, it really, all it could take is just really nice older woman looking at me and saying, baby, it's going to be okay. We're, we're, it's going to be over. And, and literally when she says it's going to be over, it's like, it's already done and over. And like, all you need sometimes is like, 
a warm touch and a nice person. That's the one thing that like, I love about the medical field in general. I feel like a lot of people who get into that line of work really do care about taking care of people and making sure that they're comfortable. But anyways, that's a, that's a whole other subject for another time. (laughs) Um, But I did want to ask you kind of going back to a somber note, how has Lando's death affected you personally? I know it has probably brought up a series of emotions for you. Honestly, in the moment, the day I found out, I was really, you know, devastated. Because uh, I, 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 I was probably one of the last friends that he spoke to. And I, I beat myself up because I feel like maybe, well, I, there's a lot of what ifs. What if I would have made the attempt and actually went over to his house that day to pick up the stuff for the move? And what if I would have said, you know, talked with him for a little bit? Could I have been the difference maker? And you, you know, and you can't, you can't blame yourself. You can't think like that. But there's a lot of what ifs. Um, honestly, it just kind of shows you, hey, you got to try to keep pushing forward. Um, I myself have been that to that point a couple times. And you know, you got to remind yourself, hey, you have people that do care about you, no matter how hard life gets. You got to keep pushing. Yeah, I think that's yeah. great advice. I think all of us, like, not only with, um, you know, your friend that committed suicide, but, like, anyone that dies that's close to you really reminds you, like, how important life is and to really, like, you know, take into account the small moments. Like, not everything's about progressing and having these big aha moments. It's more about, like, the small things that you do with the people that you love. So I'm glad you pointed that out. Um, And I know that you knew Lando was struggling I think a lot of people with their friends or their family who do lose their lives to suicide they they tend to be like wow there was no sign like I couldn't tell that this person was that depressed um or that they would they were going to do that but with Lando you kind of you knew that he was not in the best mindset and I knew he was to that point I just didn't think he was honest because I've been to that point myself a few times yeah. where I was just, you know, done with life. I felt like there was no way out, no escape. And, you know, you just got to keep pushing forward. I honestly thought, hey, while he's, as long as you're there for him, you know, keep trying to befriend him. Maybe he'll he'll pull himself out of it. Like with me and my, I got to a really dark point in 2019 where I actually uh, tried to commit. And I, in the heat of the moment, my finger was on the trigger and I, something told me, don't go through with it. Your life matters. I, I threw the gun across the house, went out to the house and look at me now. I, four or five years later, I've achieved things I never dreamed were possible in that moment. And that's why I was trying to explain to Lando when he was like that. I said, listen, I've been in the exact shoes that you're in. And I said, while it looks like there's no out, I said, there's still, you don't know what lies ahead. I think that um, you having those personal experiences, you're able to to know that the signs. So if we were someone who's like never experienced this, because I think that's the disconnect is if you've never been in that place, it's really difficult to see someone progress into depression or anxiety or even suicidal ideation. So like, what would you tell our audience like, you know, to pay attention to with their friends or their family members 
um, so that they can kind of provide those, the, the, I guess like a foundation of support for them if they needed to. Um, biggest, the biggest telltale signs would be pulling away from everybody, desocializing, you know, kind of stick it to yourself, um, antisocial behavior. Uh, honestly, that's the tone in their voice. And well, I've, I've known people that have unfortunately committed suicide and it, they've hit it really well, their depression, you know, even if you think that they may be sad, just, just that one, like, Hey, you doing all right there. Just that one time, well-timed, um, connection could be the difference in that person's life of, you know, what's going to happen, you know, just saying, Hey, Hey man, you doing all right. You want to go do something? You know, sometimes they feel like they're all alone and reality. They're not alone. They just don't realize or know any better. Uh, honestly, just their attitude, the way they're handling themselves, you just, you, you don't know. That's the, I mean, that's the best way to put it is just be their friend and try to, you know, support them. And if you think they're that depressed, just be all right and talk to them, you know, show them that somebody out there cares. Because in the darkest moments, you don't think anybody's in your corner and you may have a bunch of people in your corner and not know it. Yeah, yeah. It really does take, all it takes is one conversation or one person to really make that difference. Um, But thank you again so much, Cody, for joining us today. And again, being so vulnerable and having the courage to share this story. I, again, I know like these things are not easy to talk about for some reason I can always speak about my dad's passing. Um, and I can get through it. But when I start to talk about my uncle who took his own life, it, I, I don't know what it is about the emotion. <laughs> it makes me very sad. Um, so I just, I respect and appreciate you a lot for sharing his story today. I know it's not easy and it, it could be five years, six years, 10 years. It's still, you still always mourn the death of a friend or loved one. So thank you again for being vulnerable today. Thank you. But we are going to, like we always do at the end of each show, we like to leave it on a positive note. So I'll let Maddie take controls and ask us these fun questions so that we can get wow, to know I you left, a little bit better. I left better. them for you because I was like, Emma's going to want to ask fun questions today. Well, I'll do it. I framed all these questions around Cody and your truck driving. Like I was like, what questions can I ask a semi-truck driver? <laughs> so what is like the nastiest roadkill you've ever seen? Uh, honestly, um, a cow. Um, I do know somebody that hit a moose Ooh, and tore his truck up really bad. Uh, I've been, like I said, I've been fortunate enough. I, I think the wor worst thing I've hit is like a possum. I think I've hit an armadillo mm -hmm. before. You yeah. know, I've been, I've been fortunate. I've never hit anything. Now watch me go home Friday and I'll hit a deer on the way home. Hey, you better oh, knock no, no, on wood, no. say your prayers before you go, like. <laughs> We don't want to jinx you. <laughs> All right. Well, Maddie, I want to ask you because you're like in the Pacific Northwest, which has like <laughs> big, big. There's a lot of animals, animals. but I will, it's mostly dead deer that we see. Um, and I want like nastiest roadkill. 
I don't know. It's typically the smaller animals because it's like they're all splayed out over the ground. The deer, you're just like their necks like bent the wrong way, you know. And but it's always sad when I see a baby deer. Um, the other like God, I think this was last year when this happened. There was a baby deer and a mama deer. I had just went walking on the trail and I saw them. I'm like, oh my God, so cute. And I get in my car like an hour later. I'm driving down by the railroad tracks and I see this cop and he's shooting a baby deer and I was like that was just the freaking deer I saw someone had hit it so he had to kill it to put it out of misery but I swear to god that happens all the time um even yesterday luckily no one hit the baby deer but they're always crossing the road around here like they'll just be sitting there standing in the middle of it so it's mostly dead deer on the road or like um really small animals like uh I can't even think but yeah, I I haven't seen like super nasty or kill. I it wouldn't even compare to a dead cow. Yeah, I yeah. Mm, that's what we get around here a lot, and like where I'm from is dead deer. And I was in the truck with my boyfriend one time, and we were just we were back on a country road, and of course, a deer just like it, it didn't even run out in front of us. It just ran smack dab into like the driver's side, like rear tire and we knew it hit us because i mean it was like thunk and of course we pull over and the deer like died instantly but its body was i mean tmi but like it (laughs) it was like completely torn in half it was the most graphic and like i have grown up hunting i have helped my father skin many a deer there's just something about that scene that is just not fun um I did one time a deer ran into the us and me the same way and I was in a side by side and that was that was pretty interesting although I think it did survive I'm not sure it did like limp off but it ran so I don't know rest in peace to that oh, deer actually, it reminds me <laughs> um what was it a couple of years ago a driver had a turkey go through his go through the windshield and it was actually alive. It was like walking around in the guy's sleeper. And oh, he, oh my God. there's actually a video. Uh, it went kind of viral. The guy got the turkey out of the semi and got basically shoot it out of the truck. It walked into the left lane of the highway and got hit by a car. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> it wanted to die that day. Yeah. It, basically, it, it was like, I'm done. yeah oh my god dude turkeys are nuts i i don't let's not get me started on turkeys because i've been having like a lot of interactions with turkeys recently and they are literally dinosaurs but god they're like very a very tough bird anyways all right i'll ask the next question so cody best gas station food and i'm really curious what your answer is gonna be i'm not gonna lie i'm addicted to love truck stop hot dogs they're jalapeno cheddar. Ooh. My go-to. Ooh, you're speaking my language. So I love good. the the um. They're like, they're, what do they call them? It's like a tornado or like a tor- yeah. tornado yeah. or something. And they're <laughs> always like the most random things. And sometimes they don't even have like like the other day I got one. It's my sick pleasure. I don't know what's wrong with me. I always get them and they tear my stomach to bits. But. It didn't even have like a a card that said like what the flavor was, but I was just rolling with it. You know what I mean? I'm like, I love the gamble of it all. It's like a surprise, but 
yeah, that's my favorite. <laughs> what sucks is we have it's not a it's not a truck stop, it's a gas station. Unfortunately, we're no longer allowed to go to the one in Pontiac. It's kind of like Bucky's. They are they are very anti truck driver. They just they Aww. don't want us on their properties, unfortunately. But um, Wally's is uh, one we have here in the Midwest, and it's got so good food. It's basically a knockoff Bucky's, but they have like a uh, you go in there and you can get like a brisket gouda sandwich. Ooh, and you can get like beef jerky and freshly made um, potato chips. So good. Ooh, see now it's so funny you said that about Bucky's because Maddie and I just went to Bucky's on our way back, or our way to and way back from Sun and Fun. And the first thing I said when we pulled in, when they have that, it's the semi truck, and it's like no, and like you're not allowed. I was like, you know what? That's fucked. Like that is. I really didn't even realize. Oh, they they are very anti. Even if you go in with no trailer, just your truck. They, they will you. boot you, tow you. Uh, What's the issue though? Like, why won't they let truck drivers come in? Because I didn't even realize that. Uh I mean, probably just they don't Stink. want to look. A lot of people have this stigma. Like, we if it wasn't for us, a lot of people would have nothing, but yet they hate us at the same time. We're, you know, and I laugh. Um, a couple of years ago, there was a truck stop. Um, I want to say in Illinois that was being discussed, and the town folk said they didn't want it because they didn't want prostitutes drugs loud trucks in their neighborhood i'm like what is this the 1970s yeah literally <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like none of this happens the other day about um the greyhound bus accident it was all over the uh, national news uh three people got killed on a greyhound bus it actually happened about 15 minutes from my house and i've seen all these comments of blaming the truck drivers the truckers were parked in a rest area on the shoulder into the rest area because of how full it was and people were blaming the truck drivers mm. i'm like they were in their bunks sleeping yeah Jesus. i'm like why do you gotta blame us yeah that's that's messed up dude like yeah i don't i don't appreciate that because like in your industry it's some of the hardest working people and also a lot of these folks have to make a huge sacrifice not only is it it's dangerous you're spending time away from your family um and i don't know i just i have a lot of respect for it let's move on it's because i literally sound job. like <laughs> i'm like i'm fangirling over the transportation industry but i don't know why <laughs> i just love it like it it is so cool to me and it's something that i respect a lot but anyways all right best it, wait maddie did you answer best what you, what your gas station food is well, we were talking about Bucky's and I was like, I'm wearing, I'm literally wearing my Bucky's shirt right now. <laughs> I do, even though they're not nice to truck drivers, I love Bucky's because it's just like so overwhelming. There's so many things to choose from. When Emma and I went, Emma was not a fan of all, all of the things going on, but you I like do freaked love. out. <laughs> yeah. I was like, I could get like a pulled pork sandwich here. Like you can't get that anywhere. Um, it doesn't have the best food, but it's just nice to have so many options. I, you just like, whoa, there's just everything there. So you don't have them here on the West coast. I am actually going to go to Dallas, not this weekend, but next weekend. And that's like one of our main things that we're going to go do is go to a Bucky's because we just love that shit. <laughs> it's like a TJ Maxx, like Tuesday morning inside of a gas station, with also like a mediocre restaurant 
and really nice <laughs> yeah. bathrooms. It's, it's like just- the bathrooms. It's the bathrooms for me. Yeah, it really is. I love the privacy. Okay. The privacy <laughs> is amazing. All yeah. right. So Cody, last question, best and worst drivers in the United States. Um, I'd honestly have to say the Northeast in general sucks, but I would honestly have to say the worst drivers would be between Chicago and Atlanta. Mm. Briefly. Truth the man. <laughs> Atlanta's the only city I know that takes three hours to go from one end of the city to the other. Jeez. I feel, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Atlanta is got some of the worst traffic known to like mankind outside of, I feel like, los angeles or something they have terrible traffic i've never been out there so unfortunately i can't say out of all the states i've been in 38 states i haven't done really much of the west coast so unfortunately i go through chicago though every other day so i'm used to the misery i honestly if i had to choose as much as i uh people i'm from st louis st louis drivers crap we're probably one of the tamer ones out there. As long as you go with the flow of traffic, you're not going to get hurt. You're going to have no problems. Yeah. Like everybody gripes about St. Louis traffic, and I'm like, that's nothing compared to Indianapolis, New York, Chicago. I'm like, St. Louis traffic's nothing. Yeah. yeah. It, is St. Louis or Missouri the show me state? Yeah. Okay. I was like, I freaking love St. Louis for that um anyways uh i have been to all 50 states my husband drove in chicago i thought that was great like nasty driving too like not good but i will say west coast drivers are pretty fucking bad like we just don't pay attention to the rules like a lot of people which this could happen everywhere i just don't know for sure but west coast drivers specifically washington california love to camp in the left lane and won't fucking move for anyone even if you come up right on their ass they're like you go around me in the right lane jesus the biggest problem with us is people are in such a hurry they do not care and i laugh every time i'll bring a friend with me and they're just shocked at how people drive around us um heck back um black friday last year i took my mother with me to uh, chicago on the way back we were almost involved in a head-on collision because um some guy got impatient and tried to pass me on a two-lane road and was sitting mm-hmm. on his phone, not paying attention. I even hit my air horn, I mean, flashing my lights, oh, wow. and I looked at my mom, and I said, we're about to see somebody die. I slammed on the brakes, and about at the last second, the guy realized it and got over. Oh, but, my God. I mean, people, people will cut us off. I mean, they'll brake check us. They're in such a hurry. It's guys like us, you know – we kind of just go with the flow so we're not in that big a hurry but people will drive like idiots around us not realize that we we will kill them in an instant if we hit them i know like people really don't respect y'all on the road it is uh the tomfoolery that i've witnessed (laughs) i was gonna say canadian truck drivers also love to camp in the left lane and they're technically not allowed to be in the left lane in washington state so they kind of do get a bad rap here because people are so pissed all the time, but it's always a Canadian truck driver. It's never a U.S. one. Ontario so plates seem to be some of the worst. Ontario? The, Ours are all from the Ontario BC. Canadian guys. 
they'll come in over from like Michigan and they'll uh they'll run a load in the states and how they're some of the worst truck drivers. Yeah. All right. Well, we will wrap up this week's episode, Cody. It has been a blast talking to you. Thank you again so much for joining us. No problem. Anytime you ever want me back on, just let me know. Yeah. Well, thank you. I know Maddie and I both did as well. And, you know, stay safe on the road, stay safe in the air. But thank you again. Mm-hmm.